The minute that you get labeled a conspiracy theorist, pretty much everything that you have to say ceases to be taken seriously. The red pill is just about kind of shaking up your perception of the way that things really And on the understanding that what you've been told your entire life is a consciously constructed lie. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. The idea of Project Bluebeam is that NASA, with the help of the United Nations, was attempting to implement a new age religion with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order via technology simulating the second coming of Christ. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Hawkeye Media presents... Conspiracy with PJ and Abby. And that's the thing about conspiracy theories is like it's sometimes they're not going to be true. And it's okay. There's literally nothing wrong with asking the questions and pulling on the threads and doing the research. It is what it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conspiracy Pilled, your mostly hinged sort of conspiracy podcast. I'm your host, PJ Williams, and with me, as always, is Abby Libby. What's going on, Abby? Hi. Hi. <laughs> Dude, we have a really fun episode tonight because we get to mix all kinds of stuff. We're going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant. There is conspiracy and politics and prophecy and end time stuff. And I don't even know. It's all over the place. We'll talk about movies. It, there's a lot of things here. I'm, I'm very excited for it. <laughs> I haven't seen any movies. You, but you have seen the one movie that's important for this episode, and that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, dude, by the way, I watched, I've been watching the Indiana Jones movies with my kids because I grew up on them. Uh-huh. And we watched Raiders, with the Lost Ark, La- Raiders of the Lost Ark last month. And then last night, we watched Temple of Doom. And I was like, I, I looked at my wife before we started. I was like, this one's kind of like satanic and creepy, but it might, maybe we could talk to the kids afterwards and explain to them. It was so much worse than I thought it was. I was like, I haven't seen the movie since I was six. How did I watch this movie all the time when I was six? It was like human sacrifice and people pulling hearts out of people's chests. And that's why I wasn't allowed to watch and, it. I'm surprised I was <laughs> to be honest. I'm like, it's rated PG. It can't be as bad as, as I thought it was. And it was like worse. So <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, really quick before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our new subscribers over on locals. We got miss Dendy, Amy, Catherine, KL Conroy and rusted 1859. Thank you guys so much for coming to our locals and getting our bonus now weekly uh, unhinged episodes. We got another one coming up tomorrow night, which will be really fun. And then over on Rockfin, if you guys want to catch it live and get all the other people, Rockfin's a lot more like a Netflix subscription. So you get us, you get Sam Tripoli, you get Paul Joseph Watson all for $15 a month. So it's like Tons and tons of subscriptions, over 250 plus uh, people that you get all their bonus content for one fee a month. We have Based Babe that was our first Rockfin supporter. So thank you so much for that. Um, anyway, 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 anything you want to get to before we get started? I've just been looking forward to this episode all, all right. week. I'm very, very excited. So, all right. So this story that we're going to be talking about, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, obviously, but specifically we're going to talk about it in a certain light because of some things that have been happening this year and a certain uh, thread, a story thread from a Michael Snyder. And he is the writer for the economic collapse blog. Uh, Yeah. And he's written, he's written a few books too. He's written the lost prophecies of the future 
of America, Seven Year Apocalypse, The Rapture Verdict, Get Prepared Now, all very hopeful sounding things, uh, The Beginning of the End. And then this is my favorite. After he writes those five books, he writes Living a Life That Really Matters. And it's like this really positive, like, I mean, you know, it's like doom, 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 doom. Live a life that really matters. And then End Times, his latest book. Uh, so... <laughs> Because the positive one didn't do so well, so he had to go back to his fear-mongering. Yeah, well, I don't know because I haven't read his books, so like, part of me wants to be like, is this all fear-mongering, like the economics cl- economic collapse blog and things like that? But I also feel like from some of his writings that maybe he shares a little bit in common with us where it's like, we talk about the really dark stuff, but there's still hope, like a silver lining and everything. At least that's what I was getting from it. But may- I don't know, I haven't read his books. Maybe it's all fear-mongering. Uh, and <laughs> on March 5th, 2023, he wrote... This article uh, titled The Three Wars of the Apocalypse, and this was released on the mostimportantnews.com, and it talks about this idea of the basically the three wars that are brewing right now that are going to lead into the end times, and it starts off with the United States versus Russia. Uh, So really quick, if people think that we're not at war with Russia, let's, let's look through the facts. So... Uh, first of all, uh, on January 19th, 2022, there was this clip from Joe Biden. Let's play this really quick. Russia will be held accountable. What happened? Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia. You said that. Ru- yeah. So you remember this, this yeah, clip? Like, just the tip <laughs> is fine. Just the tip, just for a second. Just see how it feels. <sighs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> like everybody in their right mind watched this and was like, did we just display on the world stage? Maybe the greatest sign of weakness from an American president since, I don't know, Jimmy I Carter. Mean- if we get that far, this will be in the history books as the stupidest thing a president has ever said. You know what's funny about that? In order to find this clip, I had to search for a while. Even though I knew the date it happened on, I knew what he said. They're like, I agree it should and probably will be in the history books, but right now it is like, don't look for minor incursion Joe Biden in twenty nine or 2022. Because um, they try to like, there's all, all you would get is the explanations, the apologies for him. It's like, well, he didn't mean that Russia can invade Ukraine and maybe won't do anything about it. Um, But as I had said at the time, I'm sure you said this, a lot of people said this who were looking at it. It's like, what do you, well, let me ask you, what did you think when you saw this clip was going to be the following steps? Oh, that Russia was going to be like, okay, sounds good. Yeah. It's like an open and open invitation. Yeah. That they were definitely going to take that and run with it. Well, I mean, you know, it only took less than a month because on February 24th, 2022, mm-hmm. Russia did invade Ukraine. And I took it one step further with with what I had said that the day that this happened, I was like, not only is Russia going to invade Ukraine, but if that happens, China's going to invade Taiwan and Iran is going to invade Israel. And that's kind of the the threat oh. of this art <laughs> doing with your camera. <laughs> not what I want. <laughs> Abby's just being a distraction over just moving her camera. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, I was just saying, like, I think that it's going to lead to these wars. And that's kind of what this Three Wars of the Apocalypse article is about, because he next goes into, 
Well, before we get to that, sorry, I said talking about Russia and America because he didn't say the three world wars are Russia versus Ukraine and China versus Taiwan. He said Russia versus America. So on September 26, 2022, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was blown up and we were all told to believe that Russia blew up their only source of income from Europe in the middle of a war because uh-huh. something. Their one bargaining chip. Their one bar. Gone. That was the dump. Like, I know people still believe this, but I don't know if they believe this, believe this. You know what I mean? Like, do people yeah. actually believe that Russia destroyed the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Because, like, what better thing to do when you're at war besides destroy your own pipeline that's pouring people money into your country? Aren't that thoughtful. I mean, they just believe whatever you tell them. Russia yeah. bad. Blow stuff up. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because, like, you could go through all the articles of, well, it's not, it's more complicated. I was looking for like articles about, you know, like, Hey, it's actually pretty obvious. Cause there are some, and there's things like this and that. That's like, well, it's pretty obvious that America did this or NATO did this, or there was a joint force. Uh, but you know, you see all the hemming and hawing and I'm just like, you know what? We're a conspiracy channel. I think all we really have to do is just show you when they tell you what they're going to do and then they do it, that that's probably pretty good proof. So here's some of that. The first question for us. If Germany, if, uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks and troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again, then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. If Russia invades Ukraine, yeah. we will blow up the Nord Stream 2. The Nord Stream 2 gets blown up. Russia did this to themselves. Like, it, would it be a threat to blow up Russia's pipeline if they thought winning the war would be them blowing up their own pipeline? Yeah. 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 So anyway, like everybody knows that if it wasn't for America's funding, if it wasn't for the drones, if it wasn't for the weaponry, if it wasn't for the fighter jets and the fighter pilots of Ukraine that were training, that Ukraine and Russia might actually come to a peace deal, but it doesn't matter like which which way you want to look at it on that or whose side you're on or whatever. I think everybody sucks. I think that Putin sucks and that Zelensky sucks. And that's a really unpopular opinion these days. You got to pick sides just like, you know, I always point yeah. back to World War II and it's like, if you look in the history books, it was like, well, is Stalin the bad guy or is Hitler the bad guy? And it's like, oh. yes. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. yes. Yeah, and I just think of this as a lot like that, but my point is, like, it's very clear that America is at least in a proxy war with Russia already. Mm-hmm. Like, just because we don't have boots on the ground doesn't mean we're not using missiles to blow up their pipelines. That we're not sending and pouring eighty billion dollars plus and all of this other things. Um, and I could, and it would only increase, I think, if other military actions that we're seeing being prepped happen. Uh, and the next one that is happening will happen this month, uh, actually this week. Uh, let me see if I got to show this on the screen really quick is China circling Taiwan, which was the second part of what I said I thought would happen. And they, they're not just circling Taiwan for some type of military drill. They're just letting us know. China says Taiwan encirclement drills are a serious warning. So not just, Oh, you know, we happen to be in the sea doing these drills and it just happened to completely encircle Taiwan. But no, they're like telling you straight up. This is, this is a threat. This is a warning. Yeah. And they've been doing this stuff for a while, but this is the first time they've said anything about it. It's been a lot of gaslighting and fear tactics, I think, prior. 
Yeah, and they always do that. And this could be, you know, like I know a lot of people look at it as a paper tiger or whatever, but I think at some point China's going to have to nut up or shut up, so to speak, I think. Yeah, and it makes me wonder what they're waiting for because I really thought they would have just done it in the middle of the Ukraine invasion and and just confuse everybody in the world. So I'm I'm wondering what's going on behind the scenes because you'd think if they're as strong as they appear to be that they would have done it already. Right. Yeah. Well, I think there's a few things. I think I think a lot of it has to do with the alliances because what I think we're mm-hmm. seeing right now what I want to make clear throughout this this article before we get into the Ark of the Covenant stuff, which is related, trust me, is uh, the just that China is building all these deals. We've seen the China and Russia deal happening, this partnership, uh, which is a big thing. Then, you know, like even and beyond that, like there's other there's other things going on. There's the the BRICS system. If you're familiar with the BRICS system, this stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. And this was created to provide an alternative in global finances to institutions like the IMF. So basically the dollar, which is the world standard currency, is slowly being replaced by this Chinese currency. So China's partnering with Russia for for energy and oil. Russia's using the the Chinese yuan or whatever you call it for for their purchases. Now it's becoming the BRICS system. Everything's becoming digital. Uh, basically this is an econ- a form of economic warfare that's going on. And it looks like, and I've, I haven't found like concrete evidence. This I've seen people say it. And then when I look it up, I don't see the same evidence, but some people say that Britain's already basically on board that the world economic or not world economic form. The, the European union is getting behind the BRICS system and replacing the dollar, which might all be happening. Mm-hmm. So Either way, I think we've got the, the alliances happening, the finances happening. I think there's a lot of things building up. And I've also always been wondering if China's just waiting until America actually puts boots on the ground, because then it would have to be a two pronged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you'd split your enemy in, in half. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, also, I've noticed like talking about this dividing of powers, like everybody is basically calling this the axis, like we're, we're going back to the idea of World mm-hmm. War Two, like you saw Germany and Italy and Japan and all these people like teaming up. I saw the same thing in World War One. So like it seems like precursors in that way. Uh, and here's another interesting one is this partnership between Iran and Russia. So you've got Russia with China and Russia with Iran, the three wars that, that we were talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. And. <clears throat> What's interesting about this, too, is that we saw the blowing up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. We see that Russia's partnered with Iran. Iran really hates Israel. And guess who has all of the natural gas right now? Israel. Israel. Israel is sees and gas exports to Europe boom in the wake of Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, that's a little misleading. I think it's in wake of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, but yeah, essentially basically Russia or Israel found this massive uh, natural gas reserves and now they're building a pipeline to Europe. Meanwhile, Germany's shutting off its uh, nuclear power, the last nuclear power plant, Mm -hmm. which is weird to do after you've already lost that like natural gas flow from Russia. Yeah, they shut it off, and in the same day, they informed their citizens that their energy bills were going up like 45%. That's an insane, yeah. that's insane. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty insane. Oh. By the way, I want to say thank you to Real Truth Cactus for the $5 Rumble Rant. Uh, if you guys send us uh, Rumble Rants or uh, Odyssey chats, whatever those are called hyper with chats. your meme, hyper chats on Odyssey, uh, once we get past the regular portion of the show, we're just going to go through and read them and, and respond to all that stuff. 
Um, just for the audio listeners, it's a little weird. I'm sure when we're going back and forth between all the memes mm-hmm. and they can't see them. So appreciate them. I see some from blankets that we'll get to towards the end of the show. Um, but thank you guys for that. Uh, let's see. So we have other alliances forming. We've got Israel and Iran um, right now. Also, another thing that's going on with Iran is they are now saying that they can make fissile material for a bomb in about 12 days. So it used to be that it would okay. take a year is what we thought Iran would take to make a bomb. So we had this whole treaty of, hey, Iran, don't mess around with plutonium at all. And then it's like, well, do so because we're worried that if we tell you not to, you'll make a bomb, which was the dumbest logic I've ever heard anyway. And now they're just like, yeah, go ahead and make it and inspect yourselves. It will have warning of a whole year if you think you're going to make a bomb. And now they're just coming out and saying, actually, we only need like 12 days. So we're so dumb. (laughs) It's it's almost like one would be tempted to think if one did not know better that the military industrial complex was trying to start World War III. The people that make money off of war would try to start war. Is that what you're suggesting, Abby? I would never suggest Freaking such a terrible theorist thing. over here. I know. I just can It's never happened in the history of ever. Ever. <laughs> never. Um, and then just to, to sum it up with this looming war in Israel, which is kind of the point of, of what I want to get to with, with why I think the ARC stuff is important. Israel, there's these, these articles coming out that are saying Israel's window to strike Iran narrows as Putin enters equation. So, Basically, basically all the world news is saying Israel's got Iran that wants to kill them with nukes. They're threatening Russia economically. Russia's teamed up with China and Iran and the UN already (laughs) hates Israel anyway. So like in NATO or whatever. So like Mm -hmm. basically Israel looks kind of screwed. And then there's other articles basically coming out that we are that America is already doing these drills with Israel essentially preparing for an invasion mm-hmm. from Iran. Like they really think it's real. Just the same way that America's like freaking out that China's inv- like circling Taiwan. They're also freaking out about Iran's fissile material and all this stuff. Mm. It's looking like this article is not that far off. And th- then we get into where it gets weird and interesting. All right. So <laughs> there's the, the, the article that I was just reading the three. Uh, let me just show this on screen really quick. The article I was reading from Michael Snyder that started March 5th, the three wars, of the apocalypse, it goes on in the uh, section to talk about. Basically, he says, I believe this war will start in a way that no one or that people that will most people do not expect. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really say much there. But there's another article that came out after this that talks about why. And he, he expands on that notion. It links back to this article. And it says, watch Israel, because I believe that events of historic historic significance could soon happen. And in this article, he says, as I stated at the beginning of this article, I'm also watching for news concerning the Ark of the Covenant. It's been missing for more than 2,600 years. And an article posted on MSN recently noted that there are some experts that wonder if it ever existed at all. Of course, the truth is that it does exist, but it has been missing for a really long time. And it goes on to talk about all this. And he basically makes the assumption or he makes the conclusion that based on what's going on, and we'll get into all of that, the Ark of the Covenant is what Israel wants to use to it, like deter an invasion from Israel, from, from Iran. Like basically, if this war starts, it's not just nuclear war, it's holy war. And I know that sounds crazy, but as we get to the end of the episode, I'm going to explain all that, but I feel like we need to take a step back first 
and tell you guys about the history of the arc, where people think the arc is and what exactly it is that Michael Snyder is talking about that Israel basically knows where the arc is and is going to unveil it possibly in the next few months and most likely on a Jewish holiday. That's what he goes into. But we need some historical context because I'm sure that not everybody's super familiar with all of the arc stuff. So um, going back a little bit, if you don't know the, the Ark of the Covenant is what he's talking about, not Noah's Ark, which is which is weird, by the way. I actually looked into why they're both called the Ark. Do you know what that do you know why that is? Because they're protecting something. No, it's it's something more like they're different words, but they're both words that could mean like a box, like the boat could mean a box and the Ark is a type of box. And then they just translated it from Latin, which was two different words into one word or from, sorry, Hebrew, that was two different words into Latin, which was one word, which is Arca. And then when they translate it into English, they're just like Ark. But that's the only like, that's the only time it's used in English is to talk about the Ark of the Covenant and Noah's Ark. It's not like an English word. Interesting. It's just a really weird translation thing. But yeah. uh, <laughs> anyway, according to the book of Exodus, God instructed Moses to build the Ark during his 40 day stay up on Mount Sinai. And then the Bible gives a super long detailed instructions on how it was constructed. We don't have to go through it, but it talks about the length and the width and that it would be made of acacia wood and that it would be covered in gold. It would have two handles on either side that would be fixed in place. You couldn't remove them. And then it would have two golden cherubim on top, which are type of angels. And they'd be looking at each other and they would be, uh, their wings would be extending over. And this is what we call the mercy seat. So if you don't know, this is kind of like an artist rendering. There's a lot of different ones, but I kind of liked this one. The best is, kind of clarity of what we're talking about. So these long poles, this giant wooden box and covered in gold with, with the cherubim. So, uh, and after, after this, it's creation by Moses, the ark was carried by the Israelites during their 40 years of wandering in the desert. And wherever Israel camped, the ark was placed in a separate room inside a sacred tent called the tabernacle. And there's this whole long instruction portion of the Bible. This is why Leviticus is kind of, or is Exodus. Well, Leviticus is the law, so it's boring too, but there's parts of Exodus that are really boring, but they're historically important to like archaeologists and things like that. Like we talked about this on our vampires, Nephilim werewolves episode, but I didn't realize just how important all of the uh, like genealogy stuff is. Then once you understand what it's there for, it's like super important. I think this is one of those things where it's like they kind of (laughs) like the Bible does this funny thing where it'll be like. And then they killed all these people. And it's like, that's what I want to hear about. But it's like, instead of the long <laughs> detail instructions. <laughs> past the good stuff. I know. I'm joking. But uh, so anyway, this big box. But you have to know, like, why, why, why are they carrying a box? Like, what is this thing? Right. So it's kind of three things. Three main things, I guess you could say. And the first thing is that it's a container. This is what held the two tablets that were bearing the Ten Commandments, the ones that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai mm-hmm. with the instructions to build the ark. So he had the tablets, and then he instructed uh, his people to build the ark, and that's where they, they were placed. It also held a golden jar of manna, which manna is the, the bread from heaven that came up every day that they were wandering through the desert for those 40 years. Mm-hmm. And it also held Aaron, his brother's uh, rod. So... With the buds? Yeah, like with the it was, buds. It was growing, right? Yeah, the one that was growing, yes. And the other thing that is, is it's the mercy seat of God. So, which sounds like something you could just roll up, like mercy, what, what does that mean? I I want to try to explain it, but I think what I'm going to do is just read you a little bit from this article from Bible Study Tools, because I think they just do a better job of summing up a few in a few paragraphs and me trying to mumble through it. So it says, the mercy seat was initially where God met with Moses to communicate the law to him. 
but had a second more significant role in the ritual worship practice of Israel. In Leviticus 16, it described the Day of Atonement, an annual time of sacrifice for Israel, and the mercy seat played a significant part in this sacrifice. On the Day of Atonement, there was a series of sacrifices made. Of these, one was a bull for the sins of the high priest, and the second was a goat for the sins of the people. And uh, Leviticus describes the process of offering these two sacrifices, and it was unique among all other sacrifices offered. For each of these two sacrifices, the high priest would take some of the blood of the sacrifice through the curtain into the most holy place. So that would be originally you had the tabernacle. And then as later, we'll, we'll talk about what the Holy of Holies is a different, more permanent room for, for the ark. Um, but even in the tabernacle, there was that, that separation. Uh, all these two sacrifices, the high priest would take some of the blood of the sacrifice through the curtain of the most holy place. He would also take a censer of coals and some incense would smoke and would hide the mercy seat so that the priest would not die. God was dwelling above the mercy seat. So you could see the mercy seat. So, so to see the mercy seat would be to see God. So like some people describe this essentially as like this radio communication with God. This is where God would dwell. Uh, this is where Moses would speak to him. Actually priests were so afraid of like going in to the Holy of Holies and doing something wrong enough to offend God. They would tie a rope to their ankle mm-hmm. so they could actually drag them back out. If they like pissed off God in the Holy of Holies and had drag them out. Um, and there were other sacrifices made over the course of the year, including the sin and guilt offerings. And these were made when either person or community had sinned, but these offerings seemed to be restitution for sin. It was payment of a penalty, but only the sacrifice of the day of atonement could actually make atonement for sin. Only this sacrifice would serve to wash away the stain of sin. Although as the author of Hebrews makes clear the blood of the bulls and the goats could not actually take away our sin. I think that's an important thing to understand theologically that like this was, the precursor to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but it wasn't perfect even in, even in and of itself. So, yeah. They went, uh, what they went in once a year for the day of atonement. Yeah. I, I'm looking for something. You keep, keep talking. I'm, pulling <clears throat> but here's the, here's the fun part of what it was, right? And this is where all the speculation comes. We got some, fu- some interesting stuff with this. So, uh, this was also a very powerful weapon. Uh, Israel would actually carry this thing into battle. And there's a lot of stories in the Bible that if you touch this when you weren't supposed to, if you weren't a Levitical priest with all of these things, it would kill you. There was actually a story of this one guy where the cart, like it was on, started tip over and he reached out to like stop the thing from falling over super dead. Like you just can't touch this thing. It's a super powerful weapon and it destroyed the Philistines. God Dagon after the Philistines stole the ark from the Israelites and it was in the temple next to Dagon and night after night, it would like Dagon would fall over and then they'd put him back up like what's going on. He'd fall over again. And then the last time he was just destroyed, like decapitated. I think yeah. what it says, head right? and hands broken right off head and, and hands you, broken off. Yeah. And then you don't see anybody worshiping Dagon for the rest of ever for the rest of ever. Like that's the thing. Like Dagon was this major God to the Philistines. Yeah. And then it's just nothing after that. Like God like yeah. totally destroyed Dagon. And my favorite part of this story and that I never understood when I was a kid is it says not only did he destroy Dagon, but he gave the Philistines emeralds. And I'm like, what, what the heck are emeralds? So I looked this up and apparently there's two translations for it. And one of them is tumors. So it gave them tumors. Uh-huh. And then the other one, which is the one that I'm going to choose to believe because it's way funnier is hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> So God's like, I'm not, I'm going to decapitate your fish God and give you ass cancer. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I always not that hemorrhoids are ass cancer. I just thought it was cause funny. it, cause um, they gave him what golden <clears throat> that, whatever that is golden something. And then 
golden rats, right? For Dagon or? I thought that there was <clears throat> some connection with rats. Oh, sorry. Well, at one point, um, I'm trying to remember that story, but basically the Ark caused a bunch of rats to overwhelm a city. Okay. I think and maybe it was, it was the same story with Dagon where a bunch of rats came in. It's in the same story. The, the theory is that this was the first case of the bubonic plague, that the rats came in and then one of the... That one is of, one of the theories, yeah. Yeah, one of the, I guess, is these these lumps um, that come with the, the bubonic The emeralds. Yeah. So, so because in this story, it also does say rats, you're right. So like some people assume this is a type of bubonic plague. Yeah. I also like what Based Babe says over here on Rumble. Aren't hemorrhoids just ass tumors? I mean, <laughs> yeah, essentially. So I'm just going to choose to believe just because it's way funnier and way more insulting. Like if you're going to really like... <laughs> pour salt in the wound of the Philistines. You're not just giving them normal tumors. You're giving them ass tumors. That's what I think I it's think. the bubonic plague, but you, you do you. <laughs> Abby thinks the bubonic plague. I think it's ass tumors. Tomato, tomato. tomato, tomato. <laughs> I mean, which one's worse really? You know, <laughs> can we say, do we know? Do we know? I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, totally forgot what I was going to where I was going. Um, well, really quickly, we're getting towards a half hour here on YouTube and we are going to be ending our time on, on YouTube, on Twitch, on Twitter, on Facebook and all those places. So if you're watching this, I'll give you the next few minutes to come over to rumble, to come over to odyssey, to watch the rest of the show live on Rockfin. It's there as well. So if you guys want to watch on one of those, that is where you get the full show because YouTube sucks. YouTube is yeah. asshole as, yeah. as our chat likes to remind us. So yeah, some of you may have noticed that you cannot super chat on YouTube, we used to do that, and then we decided we didn't want them to make any money off of us at all. So if you want to support the show, you have to do it on Rumble or Odyssey or literally anywhere else but YouTube. Can can I say something also really no. quick, guys? I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, we, there are so many people that got mad at us with the whole like demonetize YouTube thing. They're like, what are you doing? This is so stupid. And you guys have been absolutely amazing. First of all, it's a praise to you guys because yeah. our YouTube numbers dropped off and our rumble numbers went way up beyond what we were doing on YouTube. You guys have been super supportive coming over to a free speech platform like rumble that supports us. That doesn't uh, demonetize people for arbitrary, stupid reasons. So appreciate you guys for that. But I feel like I could ask you for one thing. It would be to share this, this stream with as many people as you can, because we are this close to passing our YouTube subscribers yes. on rumble. We've already like way outdone the people that come and watch this show. Um, so many of you, but if you guys could hit the, the thumbs up, if you guys could share this, I think we could actually do it this week. We could pass our YouTube numbers, blow them out of the water, say goodbye to YouTube. That'd be a huge marker for us. So appreciate you guys. If you could do that. Because uh, do you yeah, everybody says you cannot succeed if you don't sell your soul to YouTube right out the gate. And then, you know, hopefully when you get bigger, you can leave them behind beg no people to does. come and follow you as some secondary right. platform. Like, Oh, and yeah. I think we're proving them wrong. We've already been proving them wrong that, that the show is growing faster on Rumble than it is on YouTube. And I, I just want to prove that nobody needs it anymore. We just don't need it anymore. The world has changed. Yeah. So if you could go ahead and drop the uh, Rumble link in the chat real quick, um, yeah. we'll give them another minute or so, and then we'll shut it off. And you guys won't know when it's coming. So you don't want to just head over to, we're not even going to tell you. It's just going to happen. Yeah. So you never know the day of the hour. You'll never know the day of the hour. <laughs> We're getting there, Abby. We're getting there. So what happened to the Ark, right? Like, that's the thing. We're talking about the, the history of the Ark, but the Ark, 
why are people looking for it? Essentially the question, right? So first of all, you have to understand that Solomon built a temple to house the Ark around the 10th century BC. Mm-hmm. And this was to replace the tent of meeting uh, or the tabernacle and to give a meeting place to God on earth that had a permanent home. So like David originally wanted to do this. And he's like, that's not your job. That's your son's job. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, I'm fine in a tent for now. It's cool. Like, you don't have, you know, don't have to build me a house. The tent's, tent's fine. Uh, but then Solomon built this, this crazy big, uh, temple. And I, I'm just going to play the video. It's like a 3d video of what the temple looked like in the surroundings and stuff. Uh, we don't have to go into all of it. But I'm just going to play this in the background when we talk, because I think the visualization is pretty cool. And if mm-hmm. there's any point there, you want me to like forward it to or pause on it. We want to talk about, let me know. But this is like a model's 3d rendering of, of Solomon's temple. And this brings us into the last lone, known location of the Ark of the Covenant was actually in this temple. Temple? What the heck am I? In this temple, (laughs) I don't know, Uh, was in the first temple in the Holy of Holies, uh, but it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. So the Ark is not mentioned in the Babylonians uh, spoils. So in the Bible itself, it says these are the things that the Babylonians took from the from Jerusalem, from the temple, from all these things. Never mentions the Ark was taken. And then. It's also not mentioned amongst the remnants of spoils that were given back to the Judeans by the Persian kings. And this is the one thing that nobody else mentions, which I think is important. It's never mentioned that it was destroyed. I don't think like I'll point out some verses that people think that that's what it says. I'm I'm not convinced that's what it says, but it's just it's such a huge part of the Old Testament that it's odd to me that it's if it's not mentioned in what was taken, if it's not mentioned what was returned, you think it would at least be mentioned in what was destroyed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, there was no yeah, ark. If, in the- yeah, I agree. If if the ark of the covenant was destroyed, you would think that there would have been a whole chapter. Right. That's what saying, I think too. Talking about it. Yeah. Um, but so the, when the temple was rebuilt, the second temple, there's no mention of the ark. Like the ark was not there. Even it talks about you know the when Jesus died and the splitting of the the curtain that separates the inner sanctum from the holy of holies. Mm-hmm. The t- it was like I heard people when I was a kid. I always thought that the ark was missing at that point. They're like, holy crap, it's not there. No, mm-hmm. it just never was there after the, the rebuilding of the second temple. Um, so really quick, I want to go through the idea that the ark might have been destroyed. And this is the two verses that are brought up is Jeremiah 316. And it says, when you have multiplied in, uh, when when you have multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says Yahweh, they will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. Indeed, it will not come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will you miss it. It will not be made again. So there's different translations of this, and some of them are like, well, it says it's not going to be made again. It doesn't actually say it's destroyed. There's certain translations that just say it's destroyed, but when I looked into, you know, Strong's, in, you know, interpretations of these different words, I'm just not seeing it there. Um, Can you read it one more time? Yes. So it says, when you have multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says Yahweh, they will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. Indeed, it will not come to mind, nor nor will they remember it, nor miss it. It will not be made again. Okay. Yeah. So they're not going to remake it. Doesn't That doesn't mean that they're not that it's gone. And and well, I think that that's the case, right? Like that's exactly what we've seen. We've it's been forgotten and nobody has tried to remake it. 
that's never been something that I've heard anyone suggest. Maybe we should try to remake the Ark. They just also replicas, but not like an actual. Yeah, the like, Jews didn't try to rebuild. Like they had the instructions in Exodus, and I think that's kind mm-hmm. of what it's getting to. Is they had the instructions. They supposedly knew how to make this thing, and they never yeah. did remake it. That's kind of how I'm taking it. I'm also taking it as in a more future way, where it's like the people of God won't be looking towards the Ark because they have a new covenant. And I, I mm-hmm. think, and I've seen different translations of it where that seems to be. So I, I think you'd have to look at it differently depending on your your belief in, in Jesus and the new covenant. Or maybe if you're Catholic and you believe that Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant that brought Jesus into the world, there's that view as well. Um, but I, I I don't know. It's, it's a little flimsy for me. The other one is Lamentations 2.1. <clears throat> says, How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger. So the Ark mm. has mentioned other parts of the Bible as his footstool. It's footstool. Yeah. says he did not remember this footstool in his day in the day of his anger. I also wonder if this like these verses are talking about how the Israelites just never talk about or try to remake the ark. It's not in the second temple. It's like they just there's some reason that they're not talking about forgot about. And there's there's something that I think explains this and that the Jews Mm -hmm. definitely believe explains this um, that we'll get into in a minute. So we want to look at some possible locations. So if it wasn't destroyed, it's it's not in the temple. Well, the, the temple, the second temple was destroyed, but it wasn't in the second temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main one that I know most people have written to us about and asked us to cover is Ethiopia. This is like the big one. This is the one everybody talks about. And there's a reason for this. The Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which is located in Aksum, Ethiopia, has a longstanding tradition of claiming the Ark of the Covenant resides within their cathedral of Mary of Zion, but access to this area is forbidden. I'm sorry about the beeping, by the way. My computer's doing something. Let me mute this so it stops happening. Um, so yeah, the Ethiopians have just said for a very long time, we have the Ark, we have our own Holy of Holies, and it's in there. You can't look at it. And I know, I want to say really quick, like I know some people are like, of course they would say you can't look at it. Like that's how they fake it. But to be fair, like, that is the like you. You're not supposed to look right. at it. You're not Have you to not touch it. seen Raiders of the Lost <clears throat> Ark? Do you not know what happens when you look at it when you're not supposed to? Right. So it's like it, it's at least in keeping with the Bible. It's not. It's not a. It's not a bad excuse. Like if they if they really did have it. They wouldn't just let everybody come look at it. You would have to be like a certain priest or whatever to to, to look at it. And they've got like two guys that guard this thing, uh, and they're the only ones who can see it. Um, but yeah. So the story. I, I, I want to talk about the story of like why they believe this. They have this whole thing called the Kebernagast, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. But in this story, it talks about Queen Makita, and she learns from Tamarin, a merchant based in her kingdom, about the wisdom of King Solomon and travels to Jerusalem to visit him. And she's enthralled by his display. I'm just reading you guys a, dis- a short description of this that I got from like Wikipedia, but it's the same as all the other ones I read. Uh, and travels to Jerusalem to visit him. She is enthralled by his display of learning and knowledge and declares from this moment, I will not worship the sun, but I will worship the creator of the sun, the God of Israel. The night before she begins her journey home, Solomon tricks her into sleeping with him, which there's two translations of this. He either essentially, how do I put this? He either date raped her or he gave her spicy food that made her need to drink water and he said, you stole from me. Therefore, I get to have sex with you. It's a really weird story. I'm not making that up. That's like actually how it's written. So either it's he's so either strange. Solomon's a date rapist or he tricked her in some kind of like very African mythology way of like that trickster monkey is what it reminds me of. I can't remember. You know his what name. I think happened? 
Enkidu? I think I think Solomon was really, really good with the ladies. I think we all know this. I think they made up a story to try to to try to She wouldn't have given it up to this guy yeah, who was able to get like, seven hundred wives and a couple hundred. She literally thousand traveled concubines. halfway across her world to go meet this guy and then she was like You're she, like, she didn't want to be looked at as easy, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Well He it, tricked me. I mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'm pretty sure that that happened consensually if it happened and i'm pretty sure it happened even if the rest of the story even if the rest happen. of the story is crap if this woman traveled from ethiopia to meet solomon yeah. even they, if you read the account on. in the bible you could see the sexual tension <laughs> like yeah. i always thought that they did it <laughs> right so please continue <laughs> now that i've so, this solomon tricks her into sleeping with him quote unquote, and gives her a ring so that their child <laughs> so that their child may identify himself to Solomon following uh, when he comes back following her departure. Solomon has a dream in which the son leaves Israel and on the journey home. She gives birth to Menelik in the country of something I cannot pronounce and will not try. It's got like 19 tildes and other weird markings Drop it in the chat. Okay. In the private chat or either chat. I don't care which chat I'm doing it right now. I'll drop it in, in our private chat and then I'll drop it on rumble so you guys can see if you can pronounce this below <laughs> Zadisaraya. That's as good of a guess as anybody's going to get um, <laughs> at the age of 22. Menelik travels to Jerusalem by the way of Gaza seeking Solomon's blessing and identifies himself to his father with the ring Overjoyed by his reunion, Solomon tries to convince Menelik to stay and succeed him as king, but Menelik insists on returning to his mother in Ethiopia. See, that's the part that I th- like. That's the part where I really don't buy it. Yeah, this this very much reads like a story that the Ethiopians he, the told Israelites to wouldn't have allowed. The Israelites wouldn't have wanted a concubine son to be the king. It wouldn't be in this. I, yeah. at least yeah, that's not how it's, anyway. And and Solomon wouldn't, and have not even been. a concubine at that. It was a one night stand. Right, like he did. <laughs> this man had eight hundred. No, he had a seven hundred wives and a thousand. Yeah, a thousand total yeah. with the concubines. Yeah, a thousand total wives and concubines. This guy did not give a crap if he fathered a child with the queen of Sheba. She was rich. She didn't need his care and money. Right. She- <laughs> So, <laughs> but uh, he, so he says, you should see me, but Menelik insists on returning to his mother in Ethiopia. King Solomon then settles for sending him home with a company formed from the firstborn sons of the elders of his kingdom. Doubt. Uh, doubt. The company of young men upset over leaving Jerusalem, then smuggle the Ark of the Temple out of Solomon's kingdom without Menelik's knowledge. He had asked of Solomon only of a single tassel from the covering uh, over the ark, and Solomon had given him the entire cloth. So this story is also different. In some cases, it's sometimes it's said that he gave him a replica of the ark, and that they he actually swapped it out, right? So that he left a fake ark in the holy of holies, wasn't struck dead, and then took the real ark home. Other times they just stole it, or I don't they took even it. Buy- the single tassel thing like no you're trying to tell me that king solomon walked into the holy of holies with his one night stand son and was like do you want a tassel my guy like that didn't happen 
at no. all. <laughs> well, this is written by people. This was written 700 years ago. It's not it is not written that long ago. Yeah. And by people who seriously didn't understand the Bible and and uh, yeah, and the, the reverence the Jews had for. Yeah, it is. I think it's it is. literally clout chasing. <clears throat> so during the journey home, Menelik learns that the Ark is with him and Solomon discovers that it is gone from his kingdom. The king attempts to pursue Menelik, but through the Ark's mysterious powers, his son <laughs> with his entire entourage is miraculously flown home to Ethiopia before Solomon can leave his kingdom. King Solomon then turns to solace from his wife, the daughter of Pharaoh of Egypt, and she seduced him into worshiping the idols of her land. <clears throat> so the idea of this is essentially from the Ethiopian perspective is Solomon, which this did this later did happen. Solomon through the Pharaoh's daughter did start worshiping other idols. This is a whole problem of Solomon having all these wives. He was worshiping yeah. other gods to keep them happy. Right. And this is the yes. point. Um, but they're trying to make the case that this is why the Jews lost favor and that the Ethiopians are the new Jews, the new chosen people of God. Also, this was a thousand years before Jesus. This was 500 years before he let Babylon destroy them. It's really hard for me to believe that like during King Solomon's reign before he's worshiping other idols that God's just like, yeah, the chosen seed that's going to birth Jesus. You're not my people anymore. That's a little hard for me to believe. Yeah. And there's, what is it? Romans. Oh man. I always okay, look that up really quick. I'll tell people about the Cabernet really quick. So this is also known as the glory of the Kings and it's a 14th century national epic from Ethiopia. It's considered by many Ethiopian Christians to be historically reliable work, but by no one else. It's a collaboration of like hundreds of authors and stories that are conflicting. And it, there's definitely not any reference or, copy of this from before the 14th century. Uh, it's also considered to hold the genealogy of the Salamic dynasty, which is followed the Ethiopian followed by the Ethiopian Orthodox church. So this is their way of saying, actually we're the real Jews. We have the line of Solomon, which is odd to me because they also believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So they would have to believe that the, the bloodline from David down through Jesus was legit, but yet it split off and went to them a thousand years before Jesus. It's really weird. Yeah. I think this is a good, good place to read a scripture passage. And I'd like to dedicate this scripture reading to Nicholas Fuentes. Um, This is Romans. I wonder why (laughs) I ask then has God rejected his people by no means for I myself am an Israelite. This is Paul speaking, right? A A descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to bow. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, <clears throat> let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? 
by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. God, let us Gentiles have salvation to make his girl jealous. That's it. That's what we are. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. I'm going to keep reading. To make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you... Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches, Nicholas Fuentes. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be granted in grafted in that is true they were broken off because of their unbelief but you stand fast through faith so do not become proud but fear for if god did not spare the natural branches neither will he spare you note that the then that the kindness and the severity of god severity toward those who have fallen but god's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness otherwise you too will be cut off and even if they and even they if they do not continue in their unbelief will be grafted in for god has power to graft them in again For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way... All Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Yeah. Long story short, we were grafted in. Don't get proud and think that that means that uh, it's it's yeah. replacement theology debunked right in the Bible is what it is. So yeah, God loves <clears throat> Israel. This whole yeah. story has been about Israel. We got to be a part of it and we get to be thankful for that. But we're going to be here rooting for Israel until the very end. Yeah. So that's the other thing about this. So the, the, the Ethiopian thing is so weird because in the Kebernagast, it describes the Jews as wicked and argues that they have become unworthy custodians of the Ark of the Covenant. It seems like the entire Ethiopian church from a long time ago has been. Um, and I'm glad you read that, by the way. Uh, it seems like the Ethiopian church from a long time ago has been trying to be. No, we're the real Jews. It's which is weird because like. I'm trying to figure out how to say this. There's there's so much here. It's like there's certain parts of them. When I first started looking into it, I was like, maybe they do have the Ark of the Covenant because of X, Y, and Z. And then the more I look into it, the more I just see blasphemy after blasphemy after blasphemy. Mm. So like there's first of all, like they stole, you know, this whole story's BS just in general. Yeah, and no, then it's uh, totally made up. And then on top of that, right? Like this is what I was going to say is originally I thought, oh, maybe they are like some special keepers of secret knowledge because yeah. they're the ones who preserve the book of Enoch, which I'm not saying is is uh, the inerrant word of God. But I do think that it's extremely it's important, important in understanding how the biblical writers saw Genesis 6. And we know this because Jude and 
Peter and other New Testament writers reference it saying, this is how we believe like Genesis six is about Nephilim, which means angels having sex with humans. It's not about, you know, humans and the daughters of Cain and this other crap translation that just doesn't hold up. So I've, I've thought that that was important and I looked at some other stuff. They've preserved other histories and I was like, maybe they did preserve the ark. But <laughs> their whole thing is the Jews are wicked. And then you go into like the 1800s. They fought off Italy, right? And they claim that they fought off Italy twice, which is the, the only the only country in Africa not to be colonized because uh, mm-hmm. they fought off Italy twice. And it's like they claim that it was because of the Ark of the Covenant. And then they went further like that's like, oh, maybe they do. Then they went further and they went to say, you know, like actually their new King Menelik is Jesus Christ returned. Uh, they started the whole Pan-African movement, which is this huge black African black power movement that spread to America and has be- become this extremely racist, anti-Semitic, it's racist towards everybody, Hebrew. but also specifically anti-Semitic uh, movement. It's the black Hebrew Israelite thing, right? Like we're the yeah, and I don't understand how they Israelites. factor in. I think that they take their ideas from the Ethiopians. Yeah, because their whole story is Solomon had this kid. Okay, so this is the black Hebrew Israelites. Israel's been mean to his descendants, and so <clears> therefore we're justified in all this. It's, this is Kanye's whole thing. But again, the their whole thing blood. falls apart right from the beginning if they're like, the line of David split off, but also Jesus was not an Ethiopian. But I think the right. black Hebrew Israelites actually believe he was Ethiopian, which is retarded because we have the whole genealogy in the Bible. Again, it's why, the, it's, again, why the genealogy and, stuff is super important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not that we have a pro I, the racists like to say you have a problem with Jesus not being black because you hate black people. It's like, no, I just want the story to be the story. Like he was middle Eastern. He was, he was, it should be the least, it should be the least controversial thing in the world to say Jesus looked like a middle Eastern Jew because he's a middle Eastern Jew. Exactly. He wasn't white. Everybody knows that he wasn't. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you say Jesus was not actually black. People get mad and it's like, well, you think he's white? And it's like, no, no, you do know. There's like, <laughs> it's, it's almost, I know this sounds crazy, PJ. It's almost like, but there's... it's almost like God said, you know what? I'm going to make him the very middle. <laughs> like I'm going to put him right in the middle of everything, both physically yeah. in geography and in race. Well, it's, I find it funny when people get all offended. They're like, you must, you know, they, they assume because certain people like are adamant that Jesus is black. They assume that you are defending him being white. And it's like, no, no, no. Even culturally, he's in the middle. He's not a Westerner. He's not an Easterner. He's right in the middle. Yeah, We he, talked he, about this on our other episode, yeah. not that long ago, where like, original Christianity and Judaism is not like the Hindu Eastern type stuff, but it's definitely not as Western as we want to make it. Exactly. That's why it's, the spirituality has been stripped away because we've tried to Westernize Christianity too much. I it's think. almost like God created something for, for everybody. Yeah. And then grafted the branches on. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> basically what I'm saying is I don't believe that the, the, the Ark of the covenant is in the, uh, in Ethiopia. And they have this one verse. I know you sent me Isaiah 18, one through seven, but I want to bring up another verse. We can bring that one up if you want. But the verse that I've seen them use the most is Psalm 68, 31. And it says in some translations, princes, princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hand unto God. And they think that this is prophetic, but it's interesting to me that like a better translation of this in context is Summon your power, going back a few verses, summon your power, God, show us your strength, O God, that you have done before because your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. 
Mm. <clears throat> your temple in Jerusalem, not in Ethiopia. King will bring you gifts. <laughs> Rebuke the beast among the reeds, the herd of the bulls among the calves of the nations. Humbled may the beast bring bars of silver. Scattered the nations who delight in war. Envoys will come from Egypt. Here's the line that they try to mistranslate. Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush, also known as Ethiopia, will submit herself to God. Mm. Don't think that that is what they're saying it is, but these people really freaking believe it. And here's yeah. the, here's some proof of it. In 2021, 800 Ethiopians were killed defending what they actually believe is the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, there was this huge massacre. It didn't get reported on for many months afterwards because it's Ethiopia, I guess. And uh, there's another article of it here from the New York Post it says Christians in Ethiopia never saw the Ark of the Covenant that they died for. And, you know, it's tragic and it's awful. These pe- yeah. tons of people died really defending their faith. And I don't yeah. want to make fun of them or, or whatever. I think that being misled, but I think that these people really truly believe it. And I think that there's some, you know, obviously some really good Christians in Ethiopia. And it's, yeah. in my mind, it's sad that they're just being misled and lied to. But here's one other thing that I noticed in this article that I wanted to bring up. It says, thousands gathered at the Zion Church in late November to celebrate the day Ethiopians believed the Ark of the Covenant was brought there. One of the reasons so many people were there during this November slaughter, which was only reported recently. And it goes on to talk about this guy named Edward Uhlendorf, who was a late professor a late professor of London School of Oriental and African Studies. He previously told the LA Times that he saw the Ark during World War II and it was a wooden box, but it's empty. And he's held onto this story for his whole life. Uh, he's seen the other, because the thing in Ethiopia is they have all these, um, the other ones they say are fake. Um, they're just like, hey, these are replicas. We put them in all the churches to, to re- be reverential towards the one that we have in the Mary of Zion Cathedral. And he said this was no different than those. And it wasn't even old. And it wasn't made of the right materials at all. Uh, it was just a box. It was just a hmm. another thing. So that's just one guy's word. I don't know. Again, yeah. nobody else has really seen it. Um, there's an, I, I'm trying to remember if this is the same story as another guy who like at one point went in with a gun. And maybe it was in World War II that this guy did, which would be awful. But I think this is another story. Another guy went in with a gun and made the priest show him. And he came out and said it was just a box. So wow. bastard of a guy. But yeah, terrible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you said you want to read Isaiah yeah. really quick. Let's do that. The Isaiah 18 one is really interesting too. And I obviously these prophecies mean something, right? They're important. Right. Yeah. We just don't necessarily think that they're, they're saying that Ethiopia is going to bring the ark back. Cause I think that if that was the case, it would just say that. Right. Why not? But um, same this, reason why I think that, that it would have said in Jeremiah that the ark was destroyed. Exactly. The ark was so important. Why would you just, I don't know. I don't pretend to understand God. And if right. we turn out to be wrong, we turn out to be wrong, whatever. But, oh, hey, Maddie's in the chat. What's up, Maddie? Hey, Maddie. Said Ethiopian right. food is like an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> hey, African food's good. <clears throat> oh, at least West African food. I'm no, I think fan. he's saying that they don't have food in Ethiopia. Oh. Yeah. That's dark humor is like food. You guys, not everyone gets it. Not everyone gets it. Um, Isaiah 18. Ah, land of whirring wings that is beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends ambassadors by the sea and vessels of papyrus on the waters. Go, you swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared far and near, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. All you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, When a signal is raised on the mountains, look, when a trumpet is blown here, for thus the Lord said to me, I will quietly look from my dwelling like clear heat in a sunshine 
like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest, for before the harvest, when the blossom is over and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he cuts off the shoot, shoots with pruning hooks and spreading branches he lops off and clears away. They shall all of them be left to the birds of prey of the mountain and to the beasts of the earth, and the birds of prey will suffer on them, and the beasts of the earth will winter on them. At that time will be brought, uh, at that time tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, from a people far, feared far and near, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. It, so, to me, the people who are bringing the tribute, who were feared far and wide to Zion, are not Ethiopia. Ethiopia is just the messengers that go to these people. Right. And then they bring this tribute. <clears throat> so, uh, I, what do you think this people tall and smooth, feared f- near and far could be? <laughs> the Nephilim. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, maybe. Um, maybe. I don't know. I didn't really dig into this one that much before the episode. What do you think about it? I wonder... <laughs> This is so narcissistic. It, what if it's the United States? There, okay, so <laughs> hold that thought because okay. there's a few other places. And look, I really do want to get to the main thing that we started off with yeah. is this sure. this revelation that we maybe really do know where the Ark of the Covenant is now and that it might be revealed soon. So I want to dwell on the Ethiopian one a little bit of all of them because that's just the biggest theory that everybody talks about. Um, but there's a few other places, one of them being the Vatican. And I'm just going to gloss over this for one reason, because everything I found on this was because it's the Vatican, because why wouldn't they have it? But there was like, there was nothing interesting in any of the stories. Like there's some, you know, mythical tale of, you know, the Knights Templar hiding it away in a church in France, but it's like, it, it wasn't compelling. The Vatican one, like most of the videos and, and stuff I found out were the Vatican's got to have it. And that's all they had. My favorite one though, <laughs> is this history channel documentary that was, it's in Arizona. <laughs> not Ohio. It's not in Ohio PJ. <laughs> well, they looked in uh Wisconsin first. So I don't know, <laughs> but like I watched parts of this is just like, yeah, it's gotta be in Arizona for some reason. It started off in Ireland and then it was Wisconsin and then it was somewhere else. And it was, it, it, they never found it. And like everything they found along the way was like fake, fake relics, like this mystical stone that suppose they found in Wisconsin supposedly told where it was. It was all crap. But like this guy was like, I actually like by the end of the document, of course to sell it. He's like, I really believe that we're going to find the Ark of the covenant in America for some reason. <laughs> Um, so there's one everywhere is my point. Like there's millions and like everybody's got a theory of where the Ark of the Covenant is France, America, Ireland, but of course not, you know, near where the Ark of the Covenant originally was right. Unless you believe that as I'm starting to believe that it is underneath the dome of the rock and that's where this article comes back to. Um, and real quick history on the dome of the rock because this is going to be super important in understanding this. The Dome of the Rock is built on top of a lot of other sites. So let's go back to like the first layer. Underneath all of this is where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac in the Bible. Okay. After this, this is the the same the same rock that Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice is where Solomon built his temple and where he put the Holy of Holies. Then the temple's destroyed. The second temple is built on top of the foundations of the first temple and then the second temple is destroyed in 70 AD. 
Then we've got this Byzantine empire that takes over the region at some point, and the popular thing for historians and archaeologists to say is they turned it into a trash heap, which is weird because like there's if you actually look into it they're like actually we don't have any evidence it was a trash heap it just sounds cool like i'm just being honest like i like it's a popular line that's just said over and over and over again and then when you look into some more serious historians are like actually it seems more like there was a church here like a holy site the christians revered this site as well but i think it was like some kind of anti-christian messaging that's always pushed as in the christians came in and they destroyed this holy site because they hated the jews I don't know. It could be either way. I, there's just not a lot of yeah. good evidence for either it one. It was definitely a really strong anti-Semitic period. Absolutely. Um, but in, it was, in Catholicism, but I still find it difficult to believe that. I don't. The, I just don't think there's evidence for this trash heap. The thing. Byzantine Empire is also different, but we don't have to get into that whole yeah. thing either. I just don't believe it's a trash heap. Is my point, but that's what the that's what the popular historians say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after this, uh, this is where the Dome of the Rock is supposedly where Muhammad ascended to heaven. Mm-hmm. And on this was built a modern day cathedral called the Dome of the Rock. It's got this giant gold. I should have. Pulled up a picture. Um, it's got this we'll giant. One. Yeah, if you could grab one real quick. It's got this giant gold dome on it, which originally it was like lead or something like that. And it was recast in gold in like the 1900s. Huh. Um, but this is the sacred site of the Muslims. It's built on the Temple Mount. This is all of the tension in Israel around the Temple Mount is, is that the, the Jews are like, hey, this is where Solomon's temple was built. This is our holy of holies. Uh, and the Muslims are like, actually, this is where Muhammad ascended to heaven. So screw you. And they kind of control and that kind of they control the Temple Mount. Mm-hmm. Actually, the Israelites, the Jews, sorry, they can only pray at the Western Wall. They're, they're, they're allowed to go on the Temple Mount for like a few hours a day on certain days, but they're not allowed to pray. There's been mm-hmm. violence over this site forever. Um, but this is a picture of it for anybody who wants to see. So it's, it's this gorgeous. octagonal. I hate to say it. Yeah, yeah, it's this octagonal building that's built on top of it's a conquering thing, right? They build it on top of of where the original temple was. So yeah. to understand to understand this next part, I want to look at Second Maccabees and I want to talk about uh, a little bit about what that means if people are not familiar with Second Maccabees. Uh, in Second Maccabees two four through eight, <clears throat> it says right here. Uh, they're talking about these documents they found. It says the same document also tells how the prophet, following a divine revelation, ordered that the tent and the ark should accompany him, and how he went off to the mountain which Moses climbed to see God's inheritance. When Jeremiah arrived there, he found a room in a cave in which he put the tent, the ark, <clears throat> and the altar of incense. Then he blocked up the entrance. Some of those who followed him came up intending to mark the path, but they could not find it where Jeremiah heard this. He reproved them. The place is to remain unknown until God gathers his people together and again shows them mercy. Then the Lord will disclose these things and the glory of the Lord will be seen in the cloud just as it appeased in just as it appeased in the time of Moses when Solomon prayed that place might be gloriously sanctified. So here's what's interesting. The the Maccabees, you're probably familiar with Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah that it's not actually a, a, it's not as high up on the Jews holidays as, as I think Americans real think quick, it I'm is. I'm seeing in the chat real quick. They're asking about Maccabees. Maccabees is not in the Protestant Bible, but well, it is in I was the getting. Catholic Bible. I'm sorry. Oh, that's where I was going next. Yeah. 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 So what I was saying is the, the, the Maccabees. Yeah. It's in the Apocrypha, right? So the Catholics keep the Apocrypha. Um, the Protestants 
have a weird history with the Apocrypha, right? And that is that it was in the Bible, and then it wasn't, and then it was. And actually, a lot of people don't know this, but the Apocrypha was in the King James Bible till about 120 years ago. Um, originally, King James himself said, I'm not Catholic, so I don't want it, but then it was brought back in. Anyway, my point is the Anglicans look at the Apocrypha, these other books known as the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they say that these are historically relevant, but they are not theologically accurate to what we believe. Um, some of the reasons is parts of the Apocrypha are where the Catholics get the idea of purgatory, so the Protestants deny it. The Catholics say that it's the word of God, I think, but anyway, there's this whole thing about it. What I'm trying to get to is I think when you look at Maccabees, the entire church most of the, for most of history, most of the church has looked at it, especially Maccabees and second Maccabees as historically accurate. And I think the reason that it is not included in the Bible and maybe shouldn't be included in the Bible is for the theological reasons. Because if you understand the time of Jesus, Maccabees is about these priests who, when the Romans came in, they fought them off. And when Jesus came, everybody expected him to become a military leader because this was only not that many years after the Maccabees fought off the Romans and won. And they thought that Jesus would come and do the same thing. So theologically, it's like the opposite of what Jesus came and did. He's like, I'm not here to be a military leader. I'm here to sacrifice myself for the world. But it's not, I think it's important historically to understand Maccabees, to understand the mindset of Jews of the time. My point is, it's interesting to me because most of the church for most of history has looked at Maccabees as at least historically accurate. The Anglican church still does. And in Maccabees, it tells you that Jeremiah hid the covenant, the Ark of the covenant away. And it, it, it brings new light. I think almost to, to Jeremiah and Lamentations, which were both written by Jeremiah. It's like God didn't save this thing and we're not going to talk about it. So there's one interpretation of like, he's like, I hid this thing away we're not going to, it's, it's not going to come out until the right time. That's what second Maccabees talks about. There's another reason why the Jews think that it, it might be hidden actually still in Israel that we're going to get to. I thought that was a interesting thing to bring up. So this whole thing comes back to this search underneath the temple Mount because back in, am I losing you or am I going too fast? Um, sorry, I'm kind of rambling here for a second. I think I need to go back just slightly. This is probably my fault, but what is the verse that says that he hit it? Because I don't, rem- I don't remember hearing that growing up. So I just want to make sure I understand. No, it's not in. It's in Maccabees. It's not in. It's the, just in Maccabees. Is there a verse in the Bible that alludes to it? Not that I know of. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's just Second Maccabees. Second Maccabees says that Jeremiah hit it. And then are both first and second Maccabees. Do you think they're both biblical or just second? Well, they're both in the Apocrypha and they've both, both been taken by, again, this is just, they're both a lot of Christians actually still study first and second Maccabees a to understand the mindset of the Jews at the time of Jesus, which is why I studied it in college. And then also it's just been taken as basically historically accurate from Josephus from early Christians from most of the Christian church until the last 120 years. So all I'm saying is not it's theologically right that it should be included in the Bible. I'm not making a judgment either way. I'm just saying for thousands of years, this has been taken as pretty historically accurate. So, mm-hmm. and, and the other thing that's interesting about this, the Ethiopian church that also uh, is the only one who kept Enoch when it was destroyed by everybody else. Mm-hmm. 
they actually include the Apocrypha in their Bible. So I find it interesting that the Ethiopian church keeps the Apocrypha that says Jeremiah hid the Ark of the Covenant away, but they have the Ark of the Covenant. I find that very, very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> to, to understand where he hid it and why people think that it's never been lost, it's just been hidden, we need to do some uh, understanding of the, the structures underneath the Dome of the Rock. So in 1867, there was a British officer named Charles Warren, and he uncovered passages underneath the Temple Mount. And there were 45 major tunnels, uh, and there's still to this day 12 entrances to those tunnels that are open, but they're under extremely strict control by the Muslims that control the Temple Mount. And it's really hard to get in. I think there's like an hour a day that Jews are allowed under very strict conditions to go in there. Um, but that's about it, right? There's all these tunnels, but they're really, really controlled uh, and not by the Jews. So in basically when these were uncovered in 1867, the Jewish religious figures reportedly were pleased with the discovery, but the Christian and Islamic groups were Come Sorry. Back, PJ. Sorry. Uh, my microphone went out. Uh, it says, uh, according to one source, Jewish figures were reportedly pleased with the discovery of these tunnels while the Christian and Islamic groups were reportedly horrified by the site uh, because of the fears that the uh, basically the excavation of this would collapse the Temple Mount. So because of all that in 1868, the passages were sealed off by the Ottoman Empire or by the Ottoman governor of, of the of the area. And in 1909, there was a modern day quest for the Ark. And this was a really interesting one. This actually might be the uh, thing that sparked the idea for the Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's this whole book about it, but I just want to read this one part from from the, the Greek reporter about this it says what sparked modern interest in the Ark? May we may owe it to one of the most bizarre band of amateur archaeologists who had ever been assembled. They have indeed created a renewed interest in recovering the precious religious relic, but they ended up angering Palestinians so much that, or to a, to such a degree that tensions were at a fever pitch in Jerusalem for years. As reported in a recent story in the Smithsonian Magazine, the Dome of the Rock, which Muslims believe was the site at which Muhammad rose to heaven, was the site where the amateur sleuths digging their uh, did their digging only after tricking its guards so that they would be out of the city for a few days in a new book by journalist Andrew Lawler called under Jerusalem, the buried history of the world's most uh, contested city records the incredible antics of this group whose no 1909 to 1911 quest for the Ark reads a lot like a plot out of the Keystone cops. If they had ever embarked on an archeological dig and in this, this whole, this like amateur archeologist like went through the old Testament was like, if I read it in the original uh, Hebrew and I take every seventh character, there's a code in it that tells me that the ark is hidden underneath the dome of the rock. So he came to it from a totally different way than just reading Maccabees, huh. right? So he comes like this whole like, you, code you, thing and they like, go, you, you know, there was an easier way to get there, but yeah, <laughs> but they go under and it starts again. It starts this huge conflict and this has been a history for a hundred over a hundred years now. And this is this is interesting. So in 1982, there's other examples, but I'm gonna skip a few in 1982. There's this guy named Rabbi Getz and I found this interesting from this article. It says Rabbi Getz believed that in 1982 he was very close within 40 feet to finding the cave in which the Ark resides. He was con uh, conducting a search in an old tunnel that had been filled with the debris for centuries, which runs perpendicular to the Western wall and under the Temple Mount. However, when the Muslims discovered 
that they were digging the, the diggings uh, being conducted under the dome of the rock. They threatened a general riot and the diggings were stopped. The rabbi explained that for the sake of maintaining peace with the Muslim neighbors, the Israelis had to reseal the entrance to the tunnel and it remained blocked up until this day. And this article was written in 1997. Uh, then in 19, well, also in 1996, there was this thing called the Western wall tunnel riots. And some of the speculation there was that the Jews were underneath the dome of the rock again, trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. So they've believed this for a really long time is that the Ark of the Covenant is underneath the dome of the rock. And there's these kind of incursions where it gets searched for. There's other stories and articles. Um, I'm going to skip a few of them. Then in 2015, uh, the Muslim authorities carpeted over the lost Ark. This comes from Daily Mail. Israeli scholars furious after new flooring is fitted behind their backs at the dome of the rock where ancient where the ancient artifacts were to be buried. Basically, the article goes on to talk about how these riots interrupted after these mysterious geometric designs were discovered, discovered underneath the carpet, and they hoped that this would lead to the chamber where the Ark of the Covenant is hidden, but the Muslims kicked them out and put down this new flooring was like, no, not going to happen, right? So, like, it's I guess it's weird to me because, like, this stuff, I just never hear, you never hear this story from people that, this has been a long belief in Israel that this is where the Ark of the Covenant is. It always goes back to like people talking about Ethiopia and the Vatican. Uh, and um, let me see. So in 2023, and this is the most interesting thing, because this brings us up to why all these articles are being written by this Michael Snyder guy, is that in the FAQ of the Temple Institute in Israel, they actually just tell you that they know where the ark is. So you can go right here to the, or wait, did I pull up the wrong one? Yeah, right here. The Temple Institute. Where is the Ark of the Covenant located? It says, while some claim to have evidence the ark is in Ethiopia, and of course, moviegoers were treated to a fanciful version of this story in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. In reality, the expression lost ark is not an accurate description for the Jewish people's point of view because we have no, always known exactly where to find it. So the ark is, quote, hidden and hidden well, but it is not lost. Tradition records that even King Solomon, even as King Solomon built the first temple, he already knew through divine inspiration that eventually it would be destroyed. Thus Solomon, the wisest of all men, oversaw the construction of a vast system of labyrinths, mazes, chambers, and corridors underneath the Temple Mount complex. He commanded that a special place be built in the bowels of the earth where the sacred vessel of the temple could be hidden in case of approaching danger. Uh, Madrasic tradition teaches that King Josiah of Israel, who lived about 40 years before the destruction of the temple, commanded the Levites to hide the ark together with the original menorah and several other items in this secret hiding place, which Solomon reported. So according to the Jews, it's not actually the Maccabees account. I brought that up because that's where why some people believe it's under the Temple Mount. But the Jews believe that it was King Josiah 40 years before the destruction of the temple. So maybe Jeremiah really did think that the ark had been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, in this location is recorded our sources. And today there are only, uh, there are those who know exactly where this chamber is. Uh, and we know that the ark is still there undisturbed waiting for the day when it will be revealed. An attempt was made some years ago to evac, uh, to excavate towards the direction of the chamber. This resulted in widespread Muslim unrest and rioting. They stand a great deal. They stand to lose a great deal. If the ark is revealed for, it will prove that the whole world that there really was a holy temple and thus that the Jews really do have a claim to the temple Mount. The official position of the Islamic Waqf is that the body that governs the temple Mount is that there never was a holy temple and that the Jews have no rights whatsoever to the place. So that is really what it comes back to is what was first. Was it the holy temple? I mean, they knew the second temple was there, so that's still a weird argument, but the holy temple of Solomon, they don't believe really was, or at least that's the argument they make of why the Dome of the Rock is so much more important. Um, and I guess it just maybe comes back to that. The second temple 
didn't have the ark. So they didn't have that claim to the, to the resting place of God. And the Muslims believe that this is where, uh, Muhammad actually met with God. So it's kind of interesting, but, uh, yeah, I just find it interesting that they have believed this for a very, very long time that they have not only the knowledge, but they have that certain people in their government have the actual location of the ark. What's your thoughts on that? It's, it rings true. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, it, this could be, this could be similar to Ethiopia in a way, right? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be true for them to believe it this wholeheartedly. Like 800 people in Ethiopia gave their lives to protect an ark that is almost certainly fake. Right. Um, the Jews have believed this for a really long time. We don't know what historical records that they're holding on to from King Josiah or whatever uh, that they say shows where the exact location is. Um, obviously that is not in the Bible of King Josiah building the, or burying the ark, but also what's not in the Bible is all these tunnels. I know some people will point back yeah. to this one tunnel that was built by David, which is very different. That goes mm-hmm. from that pool to the outside. And that's how he reconquered the city. But this is 45 major tunnels that they didn't know existed until 1867. So if yeah. the Jews have held on to for thousands of years that there are these tunnels and that this is where the ark is buried. And then in 1867, it was revealed that, hey, by the way, the tunnels are at least there. I find that I find that interesting. It's pretty compelling. Yeah, I've, I've been hearing rumors about tunnels in so many different places, like underneath people are becoming aware of tunnels underneath the pyramids and that area of Egypt. It seems like something that's kind of easy to keep a secret because you can't stumble across it. Right. So yeah. it's one of those things that you can kind of you can kind of <clears> keep it under wraps for a really long time, and then people are realizing, oh wow, there are things hidden down here that maybe we didn't know about before. So I find that the theme of tunnels, kind of emerging in very recent days, kind of fascinating, in general. But yeah, yeah I think it's really. I mean, of course. Sometimes I look at the world and I go, what, what's the next step? What's the, if I was reading a book, if this was all in a book and I was just reading a story and I knew it was a good story and I would be like, what's, what's the thing that comes next? What's the thing that makes sense? Cause you know how you're, sometimes you're reading, you don't want something to be a certain way, but, but you know like, that it's coming. Yeah. yeah. You're like, well, of course it's, of course, because you can't, it uh, couldn't be anything otherwise. I look <laughs> at the story and be like, and I'm like, of course it's under the temple mount. Because how could it not be under the temple? Well, I'm glad you brought that. There. I'm glad you brought that up because if we're talking stories and we're talking like the direction of where things are going, that is where I want to end the episode with. And I want to bring up a few things to you guys as far as like some evidence that maybe not only do they believe that this is underneath the temple mount, but that they're actively Israel is actively taking steps to make this thing happen yes. and kind of why. And then we're going to end the, for the audio listeners, we're going to end there. We're going to go over and just talk with people on rumble and odyssey. We're going to read your super chats. We're going to look at the memes that you sent us and we'll continue the show for a little bit longer there. But I want to get this last part on the audio part. Cause I think this is really sums up what, what I want to talk about. And the first one comes from, Another again, these look the dates are important here on when these are being posted because there's a lot of stuff, uh, end time prophecy stuff that I want to talk about, uh, with the Rumble people in a minute that you and me were talking about the other day. And this goes, this first one happened again very recently, April 19th, 2023. This, this article laying the groundwork for a third temple in Jerusalem. Oh, wait, no, today's April 19th. Sorry, this article goes back to 2020, 2013. The other articles are more recent. 
Oh, started from the earliest one. I just saw this on the corner here. It's talking about today's date. Uh, laying the groundwork for a third temple in Jerusalem. The Temple Institute creates vestments and ritual items for use in future temple and lobbies for more Jewish access to the Temple Mount. So for a decade now, they have had this mock temple. They've been training people and raising people up with this idea of how are we going to build the third temple? How are we going to be ready for when this happens? How are we going to train people like the whole like the plan has been in place for at least a decade and it gets it gets crazier than that because now uh, coming from CBN.com it says prophetic anticipation builds unblemished red heifers for temple ceremony soon come of age. So this might sound a little weird, but let me go through this article. It'll make a little bit of sense. So it says last September five red heifers arrived in Israel amid great fanfare because some Jews and Gentiles believe that red heifers are a key element leading to the building of the third Jewish temple. The heifers are now in a secure, undisclosed location in Israel. Plans include moving them sometime soon to a visitor center in Shiloh, where the tabernacle of the Lord once stood for nearly 400 years. The book of numbers explained the ashes of the red heifer are used to purify priests for their service in the temple. So they're preparing the things they need to purify priests for a temple that's not yet built. And it's even more than that. Uh, you know, it goes on said these red heifers are between one and a half, two years old. They'll be ready uh, when they're three years old. And let me see. I want to find this place here. We hope that in a year and a half from today, we can make uh, here in this area, the ceremony of the red heifer that actually will be the first step to the temple. So they're talking about it openly. This is why they're raising the red heifers. And beyond that, the temple Institute actually have nine pure priests. The rabbi explained they didn't, they weren't born in a hospital. They were born at home because they're priests. So anyway, they don't have to go to any cemetery or they don't go to any cemetery and the parents keep them in a situation. That they will not get, uh, not go to, I'm sorry. He talks well funny. So I'm trying to paraphrase, um, keep in a situation where they will not go to any cemetery, um, or any other problematic place. So they're raising up the red heifers and the priests that need to be purified. They got nine priests who have been born in all of the ways the Levitical priests had to have been born and the red heifers. There's also some stories about like these silkworms to make the blue silk for the robes of the priests, which I couldn't find a really good article on it. And even going back a little ways, they've been trying to fulfill other prophecies in the Bible to prepare for this. And not only, so it, this article is interesting from the Jerusalem post it says, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And in this, they're talking about this movement to not just wait on the God's timing and prof, on, on prophecy, but to actually start rebuilding Israel on a agricultural level. It says Israel lay desolate for 2000 years, just as the prophet Jeremiah predicted. It will be a wasteland parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one who cares. Jeremiah 12, 11. And it goes on to talk about the destruction of Israel and how that they're actually trying to plant new life, bring back old plants that existed in Israel at that time. That they would need for certain ceremonies and uh, sorry, I don't want to read the whole article, but it says with a vision to see tens of thousands of trees planted all through Judea and Samaria, we're planning to plant 20,000 trees every year, beginning in 2023. Mm. As soon as the Shemitah or the sabbatical year finishes in September, we're planning to put 5,000 trees in the ground together. We can restore the ancient forests that were once in the heartland of Israel. And you can partner with us to physically restore the forests to the biblical heartland. Um, another article here about bringing biblical plants back to Israel and yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is going back to this Michael Snyder article. If I can find it, I have so many tabs pulled up, uh, is just this idea that like 
what if Israel is not is has been waiting for the right opportunity to basically break into these underground layers, take the Ark of the Covenant out, but they have to have all of these things in preparation first. They have to have priests ready. They have to have the red heifers ready. They have to have certain sacrificial things ready to build this, the the third temple. They've already got a mock-up of the third temple and plans for its, its being built, but there's no way that this can happen without a holy war. And if Israel's being backed into a corner by Iran, by the people controlling the, the temple mount, by being surrounded by enemies, is there a certain point where Israel's like, all right, let's go in and get this thing and like literal holy war breaks on Israel. And I, I guess that's, that's what I'm wondering. I think that's why yeah. Michael Snyder is saying like, if this gets to a certain point and they're backed into a corner and they have no other thing. And they're also have been planning for this for years and they're actually getting really close. Would they just go in and risk the uh, not risk, but start the war by taking the thing out from underneath the temple Mount and then trying to reclaim and rebuild the temple. Yeah. And you have to wonder if Israel's doing the math right now and they're looking so backing up a little bit Hitler tried to exterminate them like people overuse and beat people over the head with the Holocaust. But it is a true thing that Hitler hated them. Everybody hated them um, and tried to exterminate them. And that was the catalyst for Israel becoming its own nation, right? That they were like, look, there's no way for us to exist in the world. We can't live in other countries. They hate us. We get it. Like they literally sat there and they were like, we get it. We're not part of you. We have our own culture. It's not going to work out. And so the world got together and they were like, yeah, you need your own nation. And so they reformed Israel in 1948. Right. And, and then ever since it's been a process of taking it back and being like, well, no, they're evil for having their own land and they're evil for existing. And it's like, what do you want from these people? Like they're evil for existing in their homeland, but they're also evil for existing in your country. That's the other thing too. I mean, talk. I, I want to get into this on Rumble a little bit about all the prophecies that have been coming true, including the one you were talking about of Israel becoming a nation again in 1948. But like, just listening to Jewish radio this week while I was doing some research for this, like there is a real exodus of Jews out of America again, mm-hmm. back to the homeland. Actually, one of the the headlines yeah. of this radio station I was listening or the headlines, whatever they were, the the point of what they're saying is they said the diaspora is dead. And what that yeah. essentially means is the Jews that are spread all over the world, that's not a thing They're anymore. And, and if you're looking again, as we're seeing the polarizing of China and Russia and all of these things in the world war mm-hmm. pieces moving into place. One thing that's also happening behind the scenes. And we've seen a lot of little articles about this mm-hmm. is Jews from all over the world are consolidating back to Israel yeah. in a massive way. That's being underreported right now. And so I, I can see that-, that also factoring into at what point, if they actually do know where the Ark of the covenant is, and they actually do have the plans and the provisions to do a third temple. At what point do they, do they go in and get the ark and use that as the, right. and I find this funny because we were talking the, the whole reason we're doing this episode, we were doing the revelation study a few weeks ago. And for yeah. whatever reason, we both were like, I think they're going to find the Ark of the Covenant soon and be rebuilt the third temple. Yeah, I didn't know about any of this when we said that. And then people started sending me this. I was like, Oh, holy crap. Yeah. Because Revelation is really clear that there is a third temple yeah. in, in Revelation. Um, so we know it's going to happen. Um, it's been prophesied. And I understand people who are frustrated at how much money the United States spends on Israel. I get right. I get that. 
So when when I say I'm on Israel's side, I I'm cheering for Israel, I'm rooting for Israel, I bless Israel. These all these things are religious things and have nothing to do with public policy. I'm not saying that the, the United States. See, I find this funny because I know a lot of Christians that try to defend the Israeli government and this and that because right. they don't want to just say the true thing. Right. Which is, if I'm just being honest, like I tried to do the study of like, no, Israel was right in this conflict and not in this conflict. You know, they're <laughs> like all, that whole thing and like the apologist thing. And I was just like, no, I just think deep down, I just see Israel as God's chosen people and I see right. it as an important right. place of the Holy Land for the end times. So it's like, I just naturally feel like in some way, whether I dislike the things that the Israeli government's doing mm-hmm. I think Mossad is evil, which I do. I think the CIA is evil. It doesn't mean I hate America. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But like, I just, uh, to me, it's just an honest take from a Christian just being like, no, I just, it's hard for me to want, like, I feel right. like I want to, you know, I want to see Israel okay. succeed. You can't love God and hate the thing he loves. Right. It, that's, that's really what it comes and down to. You can to. also you separate can... the, the Jewish people from the Israeli government, I think as well. Right. Right. And, you can, the Bible is really clear. Those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. And I think that in a lot of ways, I do support foreign policy that is pro-Israel because of that, because I want America to be blessed. Yeah. It's it's not a, I want to value <clears throat> Israel over America. It's I because this, the Bible says this, I think this is good foreign policy. <laughs> This has been my whole thing lately is like, we just need less apologies and more Chad. Yes. Meme. And it's just like, <laughs> yes. well, 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 it's like, no, just yes. It's like, do you, well, you support Israel cause you're a Christian. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to like, is yep. that, is that a bad thing? I don't know. Yeah. But it, yes, it's, again, guess. it's not that we have to dump millions of dollars into them. Cause right. I, I think that our government spends money terribly. You don't have to apologize have for what the Mossad does either. Exactly. But at the same time, I think that, there are a lot of things, if you really do the research, that Israel is leading, um, is on the forefront of of good. Being an ally of Israel is a good idea. Right. They're on the forefront of a lot of medical <clears throat> discoveries. They're on the forefront of a lot of military things that are um, policies and discoveries and ways of doing things that are just better. In the way, if, if you're their ally... And you spend money on them and you invest in them. There's returns on that right. that I think can't be quantified. Right. And I would also just say like, yeah, there's no shortage of criticisms for the Israeli government. But when right. you look at the Middle East, I think the most obvious, you know, non-religious political take on this is like the one like sort of democracy in the Middle East. It's it's better than all, this, all the neighbors. And I think that, right. that sometimes it's just like. That's just got to be good enough. Like we've got a lot of, of allies that are way worse right. that we're less squeamish about. And I think that really comes down to this long history of like, there's something yeah. spiritual there that, that, that gnaws at people and they don't want to admit yeah. that that's what it is. I think a lot of what I don't like about the Israeli government comes down to it being kind of a military state. And I yeah. get why it is like they've yeah. been under existential threat threat for like thousands of years, like 3000 so years. Of, of course they're a military state. Yeah. Like how could they how could they survive? But all that to come back to what I was trying to say is that I think at some point Israel realized has to do the math and 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 say we're dead unless we can find unless we get the ark. Like this is our last play. This is our this is our absolute final play. You know, 
I want to end on this really quick and go over to Rumble because I want to continue this conversation. We got other stuff to say, but it it makes me think of what's always being said about Putin right now, right? Yeah. And that is the one story that Putin likes himself to tell. He's like, when I was a kid, there was this rat and I trapped it in a corner and I never knew how vicious a rat could be until it was trapped in a corner. Mm. And I think I think if Israel's backed into a corner, that is the exact same thing. And if we're seeing that happen globally and we're seeing that happen militarily Ooh. and economically and sanctions from NATO and the UN and whatever, at some point, you're right. How How backed into a corner does Israel have to be to take the steps. And I think we're getting there. And that's the whole point of this episode is I think, you know, whether you believe it's the Ark of the Covenant or whether you believe it's just taking over the Temple Mount, whatever, I think that all of the pieces are in place that that is not an insane future to see coming pretty shortly. Yeah. So... Anyway, thank you guys so much. If you're listening to this on audio only, don't forget to come over to Rumble and watch the full live show with us on Wednesday nights at 7.03 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you guys want to support us, the best thing you guys can do uh, is give a five-star review. It's it's yes. free. It's awesome. Actually, I have a five-star review I was going to read, but I'll read it over in the Rumble section. So okay. appreciate yes. you guys for doing like, that. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, buy North Arrow coffee. <laughs> do all the free stuff. North Arrow well, that's not free. Well, that's Do the free, free stuff and then buy North Arrow Coffee, northarrowcoffee.co. Use PJ10 for sure. Get that 10% off. I'll let and, you have it this time. Oh, I appreciate you. And <laughs> <laughs> and really, if you want to listen to the full show with the Rumble section, you can go over to lo- conspiracypill.locals.com. Support us there. Go to rockfin.com slash conspiracypill. Support us there. Get the bonus content content can't speak content because tomorrow night we are doing another episode of unhinged live at seven o'clock on rockfin rokfin.com slash conspiracy build we'll see you guys next time god bless All you guys stuck around because you wanted more content from us. (laughs) More free content.